Fantastic. It's great to be here. And uh, I have uh, now, thank you so much, uh, now been in America, uh, living in America for about, I think it's about eight months. Uh, we moved to, you, you can, oh, we good? Let's give the band a big hand. Good job, guys. So uh, we, we moved to America about eight months ago. It's been a crazy journey, a crazy step of faith. And uh, I talk a bit about that in my message, uh, just how that sort of came about. Uh, but we're enjoying it. Um, I'm actually, uh, I'll always be an Aussie, okay? I did 40 years in Australia, okay? So you can't, you can take the boy out of Australia, but you can't take the Aussie out of the boy. Uh, I, I still get in trouble all the time. The biggest thing that my kids hate is because in America, you're not allowed to say toilet. Do you know what I mean? Like if you say, where's the toilet? It's very like, you know, like they, you know, they get freaked out by it because it's like you're giving them too much information, you know, like, but here it's the toilet. And uh, you say, you got to say restroom. And, uh, you know, we'll, my wife and I will be always in a restaurant. We're like, where's the toilet? And my boy's like, I ah, don't, you know, anyway, um, but I'll, I'll always be an Australian, but I have to confess that I'm actually now about 6 or 7% American. The reason I'm 6 or 7% American is because when I went there, I was 100 kilos. I'm now about 107, 108. And uh, so this part here is actually was born in the United States of America. Um, so I, I, I'm trying to kill it in Jesus' name. But it keeps growing. It's like every week that I'm there, I become a little bit more American. Uh, so please, please pray for me. Uh, but uh, it's been a great adventure. It's been a crazy, scary adventure at times. And, and, uh, but God's been so good. I want to talk to you really about the Holy Spirit. And, and I want to allow some time at the end that we'd actually believe for some miracles in this place. I, I don't know what you've come believing for. I don't know what challenges you've got in your life. Uh, but I'm believing today that, that you're going to get an incredible Holy Spirit breakthrough. Something that man can't do, but only God could do in you. I'm believing for sick bodies to be healed in this place today. For, for depression or anxiety to leave. Uh, and literally things to shift and change in your world through an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so I want to open the altar at the end and pray for some people. And, and you know, in the Old Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit, well, he, he was a little bit scarce in a sense in the first part of the Bible, the first 4,000 or years, uh, 4,000 years or so, uh, he sort of just got to make occasional guest appearances. And, and, and really, I suppose one of the, the ways we see the Holy Spirit was through the Ark of God. Uh, the Ark of God really if we want to put it in sort of simple terms, was God in a box. It was a pretty cool box, like it was plated with gold. It had these really cool angels that were looking over it. But really, that's what it was. It was this really cool box, and the fullness of God was in the box. And really, it was symbolic of the Holy Spirit, because, you know, God's presence, I suppose, when you look at the Trinity, God's presence is not the Father, it's not the Son, it's the Holy Spirit. You know, that's His presence. And and we see some incredible times where the, this ark, who represents the Holy Spirit, uh, ended up at a guy's house called Obed-Edom. And uh, for three months, it was at his house. And the Bible says he was ridiculously blessed. Who knows that when the Holy Spirit is in your house, you see the blessing of God in your life. Uh, we also see another occasion where David is, is guiding uh, the ark of God, God's presence. And he gets so caught up in worship. You know, he's just, the Holy Spirit is moving so strong that he literally begins to take off his clothes. 
I'm believing for a move of God this morning. But if you take off your clothes, you'll be escorted out to the car park. That's the kind of praise party you can save for at home. And, uh, and uh, you know, but, but really the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was more localized, if you understand what I mean. You had to go to where he was. He made the occasional guest appearance, you know, when David was slinging his stone or Samuel began to prophesy or, or, or Samson got his strength. But really, it was more of a localized Holy Spirit. That's why we live in such an incredible age, the age of the Holy Spirit, where he's not localized. I don't have to go to where he is. He comes to where I am. And there's this great scripture, and uh, I share this story on the counter, but this is a completely different message. But uh, there's this great scripture in Acts, I think the guys have got it, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Next slide. Suddenly a sound, I love this, like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Uh, I love that when the Holy Spirit came for the first time, it it said that, that, that he came like the sound of a violent rushing wind. And we would call ourselves as a denomination, the ACC, we're Pentecostals. And really it comes back to this particular, uh, uh, this moment in time in Acts 2. And we sort of get our expression from this particular moment. You know, Pentecostals, we're known to be a little bit louder. We're a little bit more crazy than the others. You know what I'm saying? You know, we're not into the sort of the meditation quiet service, you know. It's not, we're not Baptists. We love Baptists, but we're different. Do you know what I mean? We're Pentecostal and we get our expression. Really, it's sort of rooted in this, this moment where the Holy Spirit, He didn't tiptoe in for a meditation service. He didn't come in going, shh, shh. It says, and suddenly, like the sound of a violent, rushing wind, the Holy Spirit turned up. And I remember God really speaking to me about this particular scripture as to why he came like this. So see, the Godhead is is a trinity, a triune, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is a triune being. It's a trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three distinct persons with three distinct roles. God the Father. He's the creator of all things. He was the one that spoke the world into being. He said, let there be light. There was light. He's now, the Bible says, that he is in heaven on the throne of God. Then we have Jesus and the other part of the Trinity. And his role would be to be the the living word of God. And that he would come to earth, live a perfectly sin-free life, allow humanity to nail him to a cross and the devil, he, he, he dies on that cross, but he goes into the center of the earth. He takes the keys back that mankind had given to the devil. He, he, he rises again. He's resurrected. He walks around the earth, and then he goes back up into heaven. That was the Son of God, his distinct role. He is now, the Bible says, in heaven also, and he is at the right hand of God the Father. He intercedes on behalf of, behalf of us. But then you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit knew that his distinct role was to be God on earth. He would be God's love, God's presence, God's peace. He would be the comforter, the guide, the the, the lover of our souls. He would be, uh, you know, the, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. So the Holy Spirit knew that his role was to be God on earth. 
But for roughly 4,000 years, the Holy Spirit, as I said, he only got to make occasional guest appearances. He had to watch mostly from heaven because mankind had been separated from God the Father because of our sin. So he had to watch from heaven and I imagine him watching. And I imagine him watching that, that, that young mom that had four children, but her husband cheated on her for a much younger woman and left her family and went to be with the other family. And he had to watch that young mom crying on her bed thinking, how in the world am I going to look after these four children? Who's going to raise them? Who's going to provide? Imagine the Holy Spirit in heaven, and he's, and he's looking down, and he's saying to God the Father, can I go? Can, can I go tell her that that, that that will be her comfort, that will be her guide, that, that, that will provide, that, that, that will be a father to her and to her children? He had to watch the young man that was struggling with pornography and he loved God, but he just kept falling into this area of sin and felt so ashamed and so condemned and so worthless. And, and the Holy Spirit would see him feeling so condemned and full of shame. And, and the Holy Spirit is, is, is saying to God, the Father, can, can I just go show him that, that even though he's messed up, he's still the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's still a son of the Most High God and that we are his deliverance. We are his freedom. We are the one that can break this thing off his life. He had to watch that person with sickness or depression or anxiety that was so struggling. And roughly for 4,000 years or so, the Holy Spirit is like, can I go? Can I go? Can I touch them? Can I help them? Can I speak to them? Can I tell them about their future, their destiny? Can I, can I break stuff off their lives? And then roughly after 4,000 years, Jesus steps up to the plate to do his part. He does it perfectly. He doesn't sin once. He dies on that cross and the devil begins to celebrate and party because he feels like I've killed the son of God. But to the devil's shock and horror, after Jesus is dead, Jesus turns up into the very middle of the earth. In other words, he walks into the devil's office. He gives him a roundhouse kick to the head. It's in the Amplified Bible. You've got to read between the lines. He walks over to the key rack because the devil had stolen or taken the keys. Really, they were the keys between relationship between God and man. He had taken them back in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. And Jesus walked over to that key rack and he said, Devil, I'm going to be taking these keys back. He hung around on the earth for 40 days, walking through walls just because it was fun, showing off a little bit. Letting Thomas look at his, the holes in his hands and his side, cooking some fish on the beach. Eventually, he ascended to heaven. And, and the Holy Spirit for 4,000 or so years had been like, if you don't mind me saying, it's like the annoying kid in the back of the car. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? But, but he's like, can I go? Can I touch them? Can I show them? Can I be with them? Can I show them your goodness? Can I let them feel your presence? Can I break that thing off their life? And he's like, can I go? Can I go? Can I go? Can I go? And then as he's in that state and he's been like it for 4,000 or so years, then eventually Jesus Christ, he walks through the doors of heaven, resurrected. And he walks in and he's holding the keys. And he looks at the Holy Spirit and he says, Holy Spirit, now you can go. And suddenly, like the sound of a violent rushing wind, 
a God that had been waiting 4,000 years to be with you turned up to the earth. He turned up in that manner because he's so much more desperate to be with you than you are to be with him. In other words, he turned up in that manner because he finally got out of the box only to find that humanity keeps trying to put him back in a box. I want to give you three quick practical things and then we're going to pray. Three things to keep the Holy Spirit out of the box. The first thing is this. Number one, you've got to treat him like a person. See, because think about it, the only time you put a person in a box is when they're dead. The only time you put a person in a box is when they've breathed their last breath and they're now dead. See, when you treat him like a person, you keep him out of the box. The Holy Spirit is not a, just a force and a power. He is the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, I went to this conference, uh, ACC conference, I think it was a few years back, and there was a guy called Leon Fontaine. And if you've ever heard him, he has the voice, seriously, that every person wants. Uh, it's just so smooth that, you know, I want him to sing to me anyway. And, and, uh, and so he kept calling Holy Spirit and I'm trying to do this, but it's so ingrained in me to do the opposite. But he kept, anytime he talked about Holy Spirit, he'd say, Holy Spirit told me this. Holy Spirit did this. Holy Spirit spoke to me about this. And I was getting annoyed. I'm like the Holy Spirit. Cause that's what most people say, right? The Holy Spirit. And he just kept saying, Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit, that. Holy, and it was really ticking me off because it was, I'd never heard anyone say that before. But the more that I sort of meditated and thought about it, he's actually correct. Because I don't say the Brett, I'm having lunch with the Brett today. Although that does work a little bit. You know, I, I, I spoke on pride last time I was here and I've never done this before, but I almost did it again today. But more just because I was talking to Brett and I thought he needs that message again. No, no. <laughs> That's because he gave me a cup with my honey and tea in it that said mum, but he changed the letter M to B. <laughs> so just so you know, if you're feeling sorry for him, now you know he deserved that, okay? <laughs> but, but, you know, it would be weird if, if I came today and said to you, you know, dinner uh, with the cat and the Tim last night was a lot of fun. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just weird, isn't it, to call someone the? And why is it weird? It's because they're, they're people. It's not weird if I was to say the preacher or the pastor or the teacher or the mum, because when I say the, I'm talking about the do rather than the who. See, when I say the mum, I'm telling you what the person does. When I say the plumber, I'm telling you what the person does. But, but who knows that we need to go beyond the, the, the do and actually connect with the who of the Holy Spirit. And so often we call him the Holy Spirit because really it's just about what he does. He's a force. He's a power. But I'm here today to tell you he's not just a force or a power. He is the person of the Holy Spirit. He, he's Holy Spirit, your friend, your guide, the, the one that leads you. Holy Spirit is a person. He can be grieved. You know, this is such an important point because really the gospel, this is the gospel. You know, when we just, get, when we just uh, uh, communicate with him about the do, what he can do rather than who, then really we're just entering into religion. But Jesus died on a cross 
so that I could actually have a real life intimate relationship with God Almighty. And that happens through Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's seeing Him as a person. I mean, could you imagine how weird it would be if, if I was back at home and I just woke up and for whatever reason, I'm just not talking to Jackie. She says, hey, good morning. Beautiful. No, she, and, 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 you know, I just ignore her. And she's like, well, that's a bit weird, but, you know. And then we have breakfast, and, and at breakfast, I'm having a cup of tea, and I'm reading, and, and she starts to tell me some stuff, and I ignore her. I pretend she doesn't even exist. This goes on at dinner time. It goes on the next day. Imagine it went on for a week. It would be incredibly rude. Why? Because she's a person. Sometimes we do the same thing with Holy Spirit. He's there every single moment of your life, but we talk to him on Sunday. Like he's just appeared, but he's like, I've been here the whole week. I was with you at work on Monday. I was there on Tuesday. I was with you when you went to bed on Thursday. And often because we think we could do that because we treat him like a force or a power rather than a person. How do you apply this? Talk to him. Include him in what you're doing. When you sit down and read the the, the Bible, you're not just reading a book. You're reading the living word of God. But I'm not just sitting down reading the living Word of God by myself. I'm sitting down with Holy Spirit who knows all things. He knows everything about this book. He knows what my future is going to be. And when I open it, I'm reading I'm saying, Hey, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Would you bring this to life? Would you put it in my heart and show me what must take place? The second way we keep him in a box or keep him out of the box is to treat him like he is Lord. See, when he's not Lord, and this is a massive thing with the generation of today, when he's not Lord, we actually treat him like he's a magic trick that I can pull out of my magic box whenever I need him. Or like a genie. Do you get what I'm saying? In other words, if I get myself in trouble, don't worry. I'll get God back out of the box. He'll fix the situation. But he's not a magic trick. He's the Lord of your life. He's the one leading your life. He's the one guiding your life. He's the one that's directing what's happening. You know, it's very easy to know him as Savior, but he's not just Savior. He's also the Lord of your life. John 16 verse 13, it says that, but, but when he, the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, he will what? Guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. See, he's the one that's the guide. You're not the guide. When you become the guide and now he's following you, you've put him in a box like he's a magic trick. In other words, I'll go where I want to go and then if I get in trouble and I need you, I'll grab you out of the box and you can help the situation. You know, there's a great quote that talks about prayer. But it's also relevant for the whole, for Holy Spirit. It says this, Is prayer a spare tire or a steering wheel in your life? It's the same thing of Holy Spirit. Is Holy Spirit the spare wheel that when you get in trouble, oh, bad diagnosis, Holy Spirit, oh, that relationship messed up, or, or, or we don't have enough money, Holy Spirit, is He just the spare wheel? that when you get a flat, you need to change the tire? 
or is he the steering wheel of your life? Holy Spirit, come on. You be, yeah, I'm not talking about getting it perfect, but, but, but the best of our ability. Come on, Holy Spirit. You lead me. You guide me. You show me where I'm meant to go. Show me where I'm meant to serve. Show me what I should sow. Show me where I should work. Show me how I should treat my wife. Is he the spare tire or the steering wheel? You know, I remember when I was a brand new Christian, uh, some will remember the story, but God told me who I was going to marry. Uh, I was thankful she was the best looking girl in the church. And, and so I said, amen, Holy Spirit. Anyway, um, but I, so, and that's unusual. I understand that, okay? Being told who you're going to marry, it's not the normal way. The normal way is you go to church, you love God, you follow Him, you know, eventually you see her, she sees you, you pray about it, and the rest is history. But, but for me, it was unusual. I got told who I was going to marry. And I was a brand new Christian. And I remember talking to this man. He would have been 40-something. He had been, had some relationship struggles already up until that point of his life. But God's the God of second chances, third chance, as many as you need. And, and, but I remember having this conversation about how God's told me who I'm going to marry. And he says, no, I don't believe that. God doesn't tell you who you're going to marry. And we had this, and I was a brand new Christian, do you know what I mean? So I'm just like, well, I don't know. So that's been my experience. And he was very strong. No, no, no. In that area, God lets you choose. Now, I understand what he's saying, but you know what he's really saying? If you really dig deep, he's saying he's the Lord in some areas, but he's not the Lord in re- over relationships of my life. See, so often we have him the Lord of some areas of our life, but he's in a box for these other areas. Maybe it's of your finance. No, no, I'm happy for him to be the Lord of me going to church on Sunday, but he's not touching my finances. He's not touching who I'm going to end up being. And again, I'm not talking about if you're a young adult that, you know, that you have to like, God told me she's the one. But once you're attracted and you start setting off on that journey, you'd be pretty crazy to not involve him in the situation. Just like a daughter would want... The, 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 the man to ask the father, why, why is that in place? Because the father cares about the daughter. So he's only going to say yes if he feels like this particular man is going to look after and take care of my daughter. Now, why would you not want to go to the one that knows everything that's going to happen and say, I want your guidance on this massive life decision that I'm about to make? I, I wonder if he's the spare tire or whether he's the steering wheel of your life. You know, I've asked myself so many times uh, in America, uh, if I be honest with you, uh, it's been a pretty crazy journey. There's been some tough moments. Uh, We left Australia, I've been traveling as an evangelist for five years. In our last six months, it was the best six months that we'd ever had in our lives in every single way. Financially, where we were living, our relationship, the churches that I was getting invited to speak at, we sort of got to, to, to the top in a sense. And, and then God says, move to America. No one knows who I am. I've had times in America, uh, it was about three months ago, and thankfully it is all starting to shift in the last month or so, but there were times where I didn't preach anywhere for five weeks in a row. That's the only way we earn finance, five weeks in a row. I'm sitting in America, and I'm like, what in the world am I doing in America? If I was in Australia, I'd be at a different church every single weekend, helping people, blessing people, also earning finance to help my family. And I'm sitting there going, God, this doesn't make sense. But you know what it boils down to? 
two and a half years ago, I had an encounter and the Holy Spirit whispered so clear. And he said, when you turn 40, you and your family are moving to America. So I've just got to pull myself back and say, it might not make sense. But you're not just my savior. You're the Lord of my life. So if you say it's to go to America, and even if I never get to the place where I was, well, then that's your prerogative because you're the Lord. You're the boss of my life. I know he'll take me further. But is he the Lord of your life? You know, one of the greatest ways that you can live is spirit-led obedience. It'll take you to a a crazy God-filled adventure. But so often we don't really want God to speak into these things because we're scared. He might ask me to do something a bit crazy. Yeah, he might. But understand, he's a loving dad that wants to bless you. He wants to get good things to you. And the way that that happens is through listening to his voice and taking steps of faith. John 10.10, one of the probably the most famous scriptures, it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. We quote that all the time, don't we? Because everyone wants life to the full. But if you read this, this chapter in the context of what Jesus is saying, if we were to backtrack about six or seven verses to verse three and four, if the guys could put that, it says the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, listen, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and listen, his sheep follow him because they know his voice. And I have come to give life and life to the full. But how do you get life to the full? By knowing his voice, by listening to his voice, by following his voice. By, in other words, by saying, it's not just I do whatever I want and I'm going to get life to the full. No, no, no. It's I recognize he's the Lord of my life and I'm going to follow where he says to go. And if I keep following to the, I won't be perfect. Sometimes I'll mess it up. But if I follow to the best of my ability, I'll have life and life to the full. It's been for me my whole testimony. I could actually stand here and tell you many more things that I've done wrong that I've actually done right. But if there's one thing that I've done right, it's having that ability to hear his voice and then say, all right, okay, doesn't fully make sense. I don't fully get it, but okay, I'll do it. And I just keep seeing life and life to the full. Spirit-led obedience is when he's the Lord of your life. Last point, just if the keyboarder could come. Last point to keeping out of the box the first thing you've got to treat him like a person because you only put dead people in a box Holy Spirit should be alive in your life the second thing is you've got to treat him like Lord because he's not a magic trick that's just in a box the third thing is you've got to treat him like nothing is impossible and one of the greatest boxes we put Holy Spirit in as a church is in a box of limitations Like there's a ceiling in a sense of what Holy Spirit could actually do in my life. And we base it on experience. We base it on what's happened in the past. And we put this box of limitations on Holy Spirit. You know, the Psalms continually talks, David especially, about magnify God. It it sort of seems weird. Isn't God as big as He can be? He can't get any bigger. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, he, he's, he, he's, he's, 
he's, he's incredible. He's massive. There's nothing he can't do. But David says, magnify him. Is it because God has a complex and he feels a little bit small? And he's just like, come on, humans, if you could just pump me up a little bit. I'm not feeling good about myself today. Could someone magnify me? David's not saying magnify God because God needs to be magnified. He understands humanity. And he understands that we keep bringing God down to our experience, our lack of faith. He understands our fallen nature because David is also a human being. So he's not saying magnify God for God's sake. He's saying magnify God for your sake. In other words, keep making him bigger than he is in your own mind. Magnify him. Think about all that he can do. There's nothing that's impossible for our God. Magnify him. Because it'll be according to your faith. One of the great scriptures, and I'm just about done, we're going to pray. Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now, to him who is able to do what? Immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. We love that scripture, don't we? It's similar to John 10.10. Because it's all about him. Yeah, yeah. He can do it. He can do immeasurably. In other words, you can't even measure how much more he could do than what I could think or imagine. What a great scripture. But then it goes on to say, He does this according to what? To His power. We love that as well. Because so far, it's all what He's doing. He'll do immeasurably more than I think. All I've got to do is think or imagine, and He'll do even way more. And it's according to His power. But then it says, according to His power, that what? That is at work within us. In other words, it's how much that we work that power on the inside. In other words, how much do we break off the limitations of our small thinking? About how much do we say, no, I'm not going to put Holy Spirit at this level. I'm going to work. I'm going to let the power work in me. That I will meditate. That I will dream. That I'll build faith. That He can beat this cancer. That He can break this depression. That He can smash this anxiety. That He can get my children back in the kingdom of God. See, it's His power, but it works in us. Paul prayed a similar prayer. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart, it's Ephesians 1.17. I pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you would know the hope to which you've been called, the glorious inheritance in the saints. And then he said, and remember, he's praying that your eyes would be enlightened, that you would see the incomparable power that's living on the inside. And he goes on to clarify, he says, I want you to know that that power that's on the inside of you, it's the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him above every principality, rule, reign, and authority. That power is living in you. And so often we put Holy Spirit in a box of limitations. We, we, we put this lid on him to say, well, no, he can only do this, this, or this, but he can't do this, this, and this. And the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit desperately wants to get out of that box. He wants to do relationship with you. He wants to be the Lord. And it's not that He is a, a tyrannical ruler that just wants to take. He's a loving Father that wants to lead you to things that you never dreamt of. And He wants to do greater miracles in your life. You know, I've just seen so many people 
as I've ministered around the world. One lady that had depression for 22 years, chronic depression. Just at a moment at the altar, just like we're going to have in a moment. I actually don't even remember ever praying for her. She emailed me a month later. 22 years of chronic depression, a dark cloud that followed her for 22 years of her life. And in that one moment on the altar, that dark cloud lifted off her life. And now it's months and months later and she hasn't experienced it again. There's no limitations for Holy Spirit. I've seen, I couldn't even count how many people that have been set free of addictions, anxiety. A girl just two weeks ago that had incredible fear because of a, an experience, a, a, tra- a traumatic experience that happened a couple years ago. And from that moment, every time she'd walk to her car at night, she, she'd get frozen in fear again at the altar. Just a moment. No more fear now. Completely gone. A friend of mine, he's at our church in America. He's actually the campus ca- pastor of our main campus. Him and his wife were Christians, but really they didn't believe in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. See, I can't, I'm still trying to make myself not say the Holy Spirit. But they were in a church that actually believed that Holy Spirit churches were, were of the devil. And they'd been once to our particular church, and especially the wife of the husband, she did not like it one bit. People lifting their hands. And... But they knew some friends that were at our particular church. And the husband, his name's John. He got really sick. His organs started shutting down. He's rushed to hospital and they did so many tests, no one could find what was wrong. But in that room, in that hospital room, he was dying. His body was completely shutting down. Out of a moment of desperation, they rang Holy Spirit Church. Is there someone that could come and pray? And my pastor was away at the time. So he sent this other, other guy who wasn't a pastor, normal guy in the church. But that whole day he said, I'm going to fast. And he fasted for that day. He doesn't even know the guy he's going to pray for. He went into that hospital room full of faith, not putting Holy Spirit in a box of limitations, not putting Holy Spirit in, in, in a box of the doctor's diagnoses. But he walked in full of faith letting his power that was working on the inside of him. And he walked into that hospital room and he grabbed him by the hand and he prayed for healing. And miraculously in that moment, that young man was completely healed and transformed in that very moment. You know, the incredible thing is that man is now the campus pastor of our largest campus. Come on, let's stop putting him in a box of limitations. I don't know what you're believing for right now, but I want to pray for you. I've got about six minutes left. I need to go to the other campus. Why don't you stand to your feet? If you need a breakthrough, 